Let's begin our study together by praying, Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshanu, Bamisvatav, Vetsivanu, La'asok, Badivrei, Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to start by telling you a story about which I'm ashamed. And I shared it on Monday at the prayer, or Wednesday at the prayer meeting and also uh, last night. So for those of you who will hear it the third time, I'm, I'm still ashamed. <laughs> and actually, I didn't want to share it today and pretty much decided I wasn't going to because I get, enti- I get tired of telling you what I'm embarrassed about <laughs> in my life. But on, on Monday morning, I was getting ready and I was in the shower and I looked at uh, shampoo and I looked at the soap and I looked at the uh, razor and I saw them all perfectly clearly. And at that moment, this is what I'm ashamed about. At that moment, for the first time since my eyes got fixed, I actually was grateful. And I thanked the Lord that I could see clearly without any kinds of glasses whatsoever. And I had this realization that for more than 50 years, I had, I had had this desire that I would wake up one morning and open my eyes and I could see what's in the room. I mean, once it happened, I opened my eyes in the morning and I saw everything clearly and I got excited and then I realized I had fallen asleep with my contacts on. But this was different, no contacts, no glasses whatsoever. And what's embarrassing, what what I was ashamed of was this. I wasn't really grateful for the vision that's been given to me that I had been hoping to have for 50 years. When people were saying, well, how are you doing? I would sort of -of matter-of-factly say, well, I can see far away, but I can't read. And I didn't have gratitude. That's what I'm embarrassed about. And it wasn't because I decided I'm going to have gratitude today. It's more that I realized, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this for 50 plus years. And now I have what I hoped for for five decades plus. And I have it. And I just started saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, even if it took 50 plus years to get here. Thank you, Lord, because I can see clearly now. And I was filled with gratitude, and then I was just embarrassed. It's like, wow. Lord, I I didn't thank you in December. I went the whole month of January without gratitude, and I started February without it. But right now, I've got gratitude And so I want to tell you, Lord, and I'm going to tell other people. 
And when I said I would tell other people, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, but don't forget to tell them the embarrassing part. (laughs) I don't know what it is about me and the Lord. But sometimes I feel like my job is to share what I'm embarrassed about. And I have plenty. So there's a, you know, a never-ending supply of, of incidents and episodes. But here's what I discovered again. When I, was, when I was being grateful to the Lord and thanking him, expressing it, joy started rising up in me. And I, I rediscovered something that I'm sure you know, and that is gratitude produces joy. If you've ever been in this condition of, of heaviness where you just can't find the source of joy that you're looking for, let me tell you that gratitude is a great way. Gratitude begats joy. It's the, it's the connection. Now, how many of you knew that already? You, you knew that when, when you're grateful, you're, you've got more joy. How many, how many know that? Yeah, so I'm not telling you something new. And, and how many have ever forgotten that? And how many have, like, been mystified? Why am I not feeling joyful when we've forgotten this? Yes, it's a... It's a problem that we have. We forget how things really work. And we have to rediscover yet again how life really works with God. So I I started just accidentally rediscovering this and then finding I feel more joyful. And day by day, I've had a great week. And I tie it into being grateful on Monday and telling other people about it, and then other people telling me what they're grateful for on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, and on Thursday, and on Friday. I'm not sure if anybody's told me today. You'll get your chance. But I can tell you this, it's true that when we we express gratitude to the Lord, the joy in us that is from the Lord rises up and becomes stronger. And if you've ever said to yourself, you know, I just don't know why I feel this way. Look at the gratitude expression in your own life and see, maybe there's a key there. And if you're like me and you forgot, oh, I can be, I can be grateful right now. And being grateful means expressing out loud to the Lord. It's not just thinking, though that's good to do, and it precedes this, but expressing out loud with our mouths to the Lord with specificity and concreteness. I'm grateful for you doing this. I'm grateful for you being like this. And telling the Lord, Lord, I'm grateful that I've been hoping for this day for 50 plus years, and it's come. Thank you, Lord. What a wonderful wonderful time. Well, keep this in mind as we go through a few scriptures. I want to start with Exodus 25, 
which is in the Torah reading for this week. Starting in verse one, the Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to take up a teruma offering from me and accept it from anyone whose heart compels him or who wholeheartedly wants to give. And a teruma offering is a special offering from the top, of the, it's from the best. It, you know how cream rises and it's the best part of the milk? You can think of a teruma offering that way. You take the best and you offer from that to the Lord. And the Lord says, take that kind of offering for me, for me. Let's say that together, for me. Who's it for? For the Lord. The Lord says, take it for me from the people whose hearts are stirring them. They want to do this. This is their desire. They're stirred to give. And then the next few verses gives a lot of specificity about what the Lord is looking for in terms of precious metals, in terms of colors and yarns and, and uh, leathers and, and so forth. He's got a lot of details. Do, you know, get this, but not that. It's like the Lord knows what he, how he wants to decorate. He's got a plan, but he's looking for people who want to participate in it. And then he says something that at one level is kind of crazy. He says they're to make for me a sanctuary so that I can dwell with them or dwell in their midst. They're to build me a house so that I can live with them. And that's, at a certain level, that's crazy. That the God of the universe, the one who created everything, the whole world, and all the worlds, and all the stars and everything, has in mind to live in a temporary house created out of human hands? Isn't that a little crazy? And if you think about it, you think, oh, come on. But there's another level where it's really deep and theologically important for us to grasp because what God is saying is, I can be present with you in a place. I can, I can not only be the God of the whole universe, Adon Alam, I can not only be the transcendent God who is above all and outside of all, but I can come down and be with you as a community. And that is profound, the idea that God can be present. The idea that God can actually be with his people somewhere and still be the God of the heavens and the God of the whole earth. He's not diminished at all when he comes down and is present somewhere because he is able to be anywhere he chooses to be. Yeshua said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do you think that can only happen one at a time, you know, where twos and threes get together like he's over here, oh, but the rest of you have to wait <laughs> until he, they're through gathering. No, he can be present everywhere and anywhere that he's welcome, simultaneously. That's an awesome idea. The idea that God can be present 
with the people is profoundly important because he wants the people to have a place that they can come to to be with the Lord. Think about how the Lord met with Moses first time. Where'd they meet? Burning bush, right. It was a visitation, wouldn't you say? The Lord said, I'm going to do something really cool he'll never forget. No one will ever forget. And he just appeared somewhere, and Moses, out of curiosity, went forward and discovered it's the presence of the Lord. And they had a transforming encounter. But this is different than a visitation. Some people have built their entire theology of of, uh, spiritual renewal and revival based on visitation rather than based on what this is talking about. This is talking about God wanting consistency and wanting to be present with people who consistently want to be with him. And so he's saying, build me a house so that you can come to my house and you can be with me. And he explains what his motivation is. It's in verse 9. He says, uh, make it the way I show you. I want you to do it my way. In verse 8, he said his deep desire was to dwell with the people. Why do I want a sanctuary? Because I want to be with the people consistently. I want not just to have a visitation or a momentary experience that's a surprise and out of anyone's control, but I want people to be able to order their lives together and to come to my house whenever it's time to spend time together. I want to be with the people. And you could compare it to this. Fathers, you can understand this if you, if you have children and you love each one of those children and you love spending time with each one. But isn't there something special when you can gather them all together at the table at your house? Or when you got children and grandchildren and you can fill the house with, with them all, it's like, ah, this is wonderful. And moms, you know the same thing. It's wonderful to have time with each of your children, but when you have time with them all together and when they're glad to be together with you and with each other, it's a beautiful thing. With you and with each other. That's what the Lord is saying. I want to be with you individually, yes, but I want to be with you as a whole family, as a mishpacha. I want you to be able to come consistently to my house and spend time with you. A lot of good Italian families have a certain day of the week. they got to show up at mama's table because it's that day, it's that time, it's that meal. There are Jewish families that have the same habit. You've got to be together. You know it, and you spend your time together. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, tradition. And I think the Lord gives us this pattern that's so powerful and so important. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him, and he wants us to be together with people who want to be with him. It's not enough just to do individual work with God. He wants us to be joined together. And this is the foundation of a new covenantal idea that you and I will receive the Holy Spirit and we will become little sanctuaries. Yes, individually, places where God can dwell. 
but corporately living stones who are joined together, who form a house together for God. It's a very important idea that God can be with us and that you and I are not just individuals, but we're joined together, and this is why community becomes so important to us. Well, with that in mind, I want to continue, and I want to go to a passage that we looked at last week when we were looking at Shabbat, but I want to connect it with an ongoing theme. Turn to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. We looked at this. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Let's say that together. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you didn't want that. You'd have none of that. You see, there are times when we are looking for another answer. But this word repentance is an important word. If you want to, if you want to have salvation with God on God's terms, and you want rest on God's terms, then repentance is really important. And a lot of people don't know what repentance means. In, in fact, it's not an everyday word. Teachers, if, if you've got misbehaving students and you clap your hands and say, children, repent, it'll probably come off strange in the classroom. And if you're late for work a few days in a row and your boss calls you into her office and says, Charlie, you need to repent, you probably think, what's going on here? <laughs> Many people misunderstand repentance as well, and they think repentance means you need to feel really bad. So repentance is a kind of sorrow with enough tears to convince the other person. But though Tears may accompany repentance. That's not primarily what it is, and that's not what the Hebrew means or the Greek. The, the Hebrew, teshuvah, means to change your direction and to turn around. And the idea is this, that people are going on in life, they're, they're walking in some direction, but God is to their back. And they're not aiming in God's direction. Now, you can go in a lot of different directions. You can go this way. You can go that way, you can go this way, and you'll run into different things if you go those different directions. But what they all have in common is God is not in front of you, he's behind you. You've turned your back. And what the Lord is saying is stop, turn around, and start walking in my direction, and start looking to me, let me be your true north, if you will. Let me be the, uh, the direction you're heading in. And when you understand that, then you realize, oh, I want, to, I, want to, I want to separate myself from anything that keeps me from the Lord. And it could be anything. It could be more than your misbehavior or your uh, embarrassing sins. It could be a lot more than that. And the scripture says, in turning around and turning to God and having rest with him, you'll find salvation. That's where salvation comes. You can look elsewhere, you won't find it. In quietness and trust is your strength. Now, verse 18 and 19 is what I want to look at next. 
because this describes the heart of God. It is so important to know the heart of God so that you know what does God want to do. Well, this tells us clearly, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he'll rise up to show you compassion. Because the Lord is a God of justice, blessed are all those who wait for him. And the word for waiting and the word for longing are directly connected. So waiting is not a passive activity. It's an ongoing desire and hope for a mutual and pleasant encounter. It's a desire for, you could say, the Lord so desires to be gracious to you. That's what he wants. And he's going to rise up. And he's going to show you compassion. And if you're waiting for him, you'll be blessed. And then it goes on, verse 19, O people in Zion who dwell in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious at the sound of your cry. Now we understand a condition. What's necessary? To cry, but not just any kind of cry. It's interesting. It's a cry to him. To cry to him, when he hears, he will answer you. Now, everybody has difficulty in life. It's only a matter of when and how much. Am I right? Everybody has, has troubles and sorrows. But sometimes we internalize them, and when we do, we're not necessarily crying to the Lord. Oh, we may cry, but maybe it's not to the Lord. It's just crying. Or we may fetch, complain to God. It's so miserable, God. It's so terrible. Or we may just have all this anxiety bottled up in us. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about calling out to God and crying to him. Now, sadly, I have an embarrassing experience about this, too. <laughs> some years ago, I was going through some difficulty with a family member, and I, I was just troubled. I had a lot of worry and anxiety. Have you ever been in that kind of tension where you can't see how things are going to work out. It's hard to imagine. And I was just feeling bad. And the way I expressed it was this. I went into one of our rooms and I, I flopped and plopped down on an ottoman. And I just sort of landed there belly first and my vocalization was something like this. Ah! Oh! Have, have you ever had that kind of experience and I was just feeling bad and then I, the only way I can describe it is like this then I heard the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit and he asked me a question it was something like this haven't you learned anything yet Oh, yeah, you're laughing. I was there. <laughs> and at that moment, I understood what the correct answer was. The answer was, obviously not. Obviously not. And what he showed me was, I was just crying. 
I wasn't crying to him. And I wasn't using my worry and my anxiety for constructive purposes. You see, worry can be useful. Anxiety can be useful. Because it it helps us um, get concrete about what we're concerned about. But when it's just bottled up, it's not necessarily constructive. And I was just expressing it, but it was to the air. I wasn't talking to the Lord. And the Lord reminded me of what I had forgotten. And that is that I can pray my concerns. I can pray my worries. I can pray my anxieties. But I have to do it with the same degree of specificity and concreteness that I feel them and think them and tell others about. I can't just say, Lord, I'm anxious, and then spend 30 minutes telling someone all the details of what I'm anxious about. Better I spend 30 minutes telling him. And it's a cry that's connected to the rest and repentance and the quietness and confidence. They all go together. And so at that moment, I, I changed, and I was, I was crying out to the Lord with concreteness. And you know what? It changed everything. When I was praying, not suppressing my thoughts and my worries, it changed everything for me. And I was able to pray and to pray effectively. Now, I compare it to this. When you suppress and bottle up your, your worries, it will actually do harm to you. And the way it works is very similar to a jack-in-the-box. How many remember jack-in-the-box? That's good. How many actually have ever had a jack-in-the-box? Yeah. And some of you, you know, are too young. You've seen pictures. You've heard about it. But with the jack-in-the-box, you know, you push jack down, the lid closes, and then you turn the handle, you turn the crank, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and you, I'm not sure if that's the right music, but it'll do. Is, is that good? Yeah. And you, you turn it enough, and at a certain moment, jack pops up. And if you're expecting it, it's like, whoa, there's jack. Well, life is like a jack-in-the-box. When you bottle up your anxieties and your worries, you're pushing jack down. And someone's going to turn your crank. (laughs) And Jack's coming out, whether you like it or not. One of our grandsons, Jacob, when he was younger, loved to be startled as long as he was in control of the process. And so Sandy would hide from him, and then she'd make these beeping sounds. Can you do that? That was one, yeah, yeah, like that. And he'd go listening and looking for the beep. And... uh, and then when he got close, Sandy would pop out from behind the door, and you're like, bah! And Jacob, you know, when he was like two or three, he was like, wah! He was so happy. But his, his, his sister Isabella told me last night, he hated Jack in the box. 
because he didn't know when Jack was coming out. And he just stayed away from Jack. I guess he didn't know and love Jack. So it's good to use your anxiety for prayer. And when you're praying what you're worried about, mix in thanksgiving and gratitude. That's the, the teaching of Philippians. You know, think about what's excellent. Think about what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. Go take a walk and look at flowers if you need to. And ponder those things and mix that in with your prayer. And then you can make your petitions and your prayers known. And wonderful things will happen through that. Now, I think it'd be good to close with a, a passage from Mark chapter 3 that also is connected to this, though it may not be clear at the, at the first how it's connected. But it's connected to the Torah portion and the idea of God wanting to be with his people and wanting to dwell with them. This is about uh, how Yeshua was, was choosing between all the many people in the crowd who wanted to be close to him. It's Mark chapter 3, verse 13, and it says, Yeshua went up on the mountain, and he called those who he, whom he himself wanted. Who did he call? Those he wanted. And they came to him. Do you see the two parts? He wanted them, and they came. And Yeshua appointed 12, and this part is so profoundly important, so that they would be with him. He wanted people who wanted to be with him. He wanted people who wanted to not only be with him, but they wanted to be together with others who wanted to be with him and who wanted to be with others. So they had that desire to be with him, but also to be with the community of those who had the same heart. So they would be with him. One translation says so they would keep him company. Another one says so that they would accompany him. And so that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So this tells us something about Yeshua. He wanted people. He wanted people. And he wanted people especially to be with him, to spend time with him, to receive from him, to join him, so that he could send them out, because they couldn't go out if they didn't spend time with him. They couldn't go out if they didn't spend time together with him and one another. He couldn't send them out. He wouldn't send them out. They might go out, but it'd be on their own. They'd be unrecognized. And he wanted to send them out with power and authority to minister to other people. And how so? Think about this. To tell other people the good news. What's the good news? Here's the good news in a nutshell. God wants to be with you. And any barrier that's keeping you, he wants to remove the barriers. That's the authority that he has. There's a way. So he wants us to tell people the good news and how they can experience this good news. How to bring other people through the barrier of separation 
that keep people away. And we should know what those barriers are. They're, they're simple. In some ways, sin is a barrier. Iniquity is a barrier. Guilt is a barrier. Shame is a barrier. Fear is a barrier. Ignorance is a barrier. Sometimes people want to, to be close to God, but they don't know what they're supposed to do. And we should be able to tell them, here's how to get close to God. Some people want to be close, but they remember everything they did that's so shameful. And they say, there is no, there's nothing I can do to pay for that. And I would hope that everyone would come to that conclusion. Because that's the conclusion that helps everyone say, you know what, now I understand why God came down and paid the price for me. Because I couldn't pay it for myself. Now I understand. And when you understand that, that God is a merciful God and a just God, and he forgives those who humble themselves before him and repent, then you can find salvation with repentance and rest and quietness. It's an amazing thing. My dad's cousin told me a story once, told all of us a story. He was an accountant, and uh, he embezzled a lot of money. Yeah, millions. And when he went to court, the judge, as they always do, said, how do you plead? And he stood up, and he said, I am guilty. I am ashamed of what I did. I knew it was wrong. I was tempted and I gave in. And I'm just ashamed of myself. And your honor, I am guilty of this. And I didn't spend the money. I was so ashamed of it. I have all the money, but I'm just ashamed. And uh, that's what happened. And the judge said, you're the first one who's ever been in my courtroom who's talked like this. I don't know what to do. You see, because an attorney would say, do not tell the judge that. Right? Not guilty, Your Honor. But he just told the simple truth, what he was ashamed of, and the judge gave him probation for a long time, took away his license so he couldn't practice his profession anymore, and he returned all the money. But after that, he was able to say, I'm ashamed of what I did, but I did what I had to to make it right. Sometimes people are just mad that they get caught. And they're not really repentant. They're not really ashamed. They're not even sorry, except for getting caught. But God is a God like that judge. And he will hear the sincere confession of sin and forgive those and tell them to turn away from their sin. And he'll cleanse them of the unrighteousness. He's a good judge. He's a God of justice in this regard. But how do you come to him? You come to him not by pretending to be religious enough, not by learning some ritual behavior that others think is enough, you have to keep repentance in mind because if you are trying to be religious, 
and God is over there, and you're walking this way, but you're looking over here, it's like, hey, hey, Lord, I got a good keeper on today. Like the Talit, I'm here on Shabbat, Lord. But if you're walking away from the Lord, the Lord is not confused. He knows you're walking away from him, and that doesn't cut it. And he says, turn around and come towards me. God's looking for a house so that he can be with his kids who want to be with him and with each other and who love the holiness of God and want more of it, not less of it. And these are the ones who say, I was waiting for this. And they give freely to build the house of God. Those are the ones who give. Those are the ones who come to Yeshua and say, if I could be with you the whole time and do what you want me to do, tell me what to do, I'll do it. This is the key. I want you to understand this so that you're not confused and you don't think it's mysterious. How does the kingdom of God work? It works like this. So I want to pray for everyone who has in their heart to be closer to God and to to serve him more and to say, Lord, I, I love being with you and with your children and in your house and with your family. And not just that, but serving other people and helping other people come out of the sorrow and the bad news of their life into the good news of the kingdom of your beloved son. I love that. And I want to serve you. If that's in your heart, let's just pray together. Lord, Lord, we want to serve you more, not less. Wholeheartedly, not double-mindedly. We want to serve you with the best resources we have, not with what's left over. And we just love you and we love your family. And we know that you love the whole world. And you desire that none would perish. So use us, Lord, so that... None would perish. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing and then let's go over to the Shalom Center. Parents who got your toddlers, congratulations. Parents that didn't, uh uh-oh. If you're standing alone, if you're standing alone, just move a little bit so that you're not. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. See you next door.